a lot about the numbers, but we don't always know what the numbers mean. So we need to take a step back and break some things down. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's great to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, Parlor, Instagram, Twitter, at Tony Katz, and go to TonyKatz.com for the podcast and everything else. You've got the economic team for Joe Biden saying we need a uh, corporate minimum tax, a global minimum tax, so corporations pay their fair share. Uh, Then you have conversations about doubling the capital gains tax. Well, how does that affect people in both a macro and a micro sense? So if if your owner, if the owner of your company is now paying double on uh, the sale of, I don't know, whether it's stock or something else. How does that affect you and your business? Dr. Matt Will joins us right now, economist at the University of Indianapolis, among other things uh, that he does and the things that he teaches and he writes and consults about. You can go to Matt Will, M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L, mattwill.com to learn more. By the way, his official title is Associate Professor of Finance. For the University of Indianapolis MBA program, he joins us right now. I want to start where this starts with Joe Biden, these multi-trillion dollar programs. And we, by the way, saw multi-trillion dollar programs under Donald Trump. We saw a tremendous amount of spending and no worrying, worrying about deficits at all. But now we see we're back to the lines of, well, we need to, we need a living wage. Well, we need a global minimum tax. Well, we need to raise the capital gains tax. This capital gains conversation is really, really problematic. They're talking about going from 20% to 39.6%. So I asked ask you, Dr. Will, explain what that is a tax on, and then how does it affect people in the macro and micro sense? Well, well Tony, that's a great question, because what it's a tax on is productivity. It's a tax on your success. Capital gains is different than income. Income, obviously, everybody works, everybody gets an income, and of course, he wants to increase taxes on income as well. But the capital gains is the worst of all taxes. Because what it does is it taxes your productive success. It taxes taxes the great things you do. So the more successful, the more innovative, the more creative you are, the more you're going to pay in taxes. So it penalizes success. Now, your second question, why do this? I think the answer is pretty obvious. It's to increase the size of government. Everything that the president is proposing is to increase the size of government. And, you know, people can criticize me for, for criticizing President Biden. But you know what? I was on your show criticizing President Trump when he was spending too much money. And, uh, you know, he makes uh, President Trump look a very small spender compared to what these proposals have. So we talk about I've got the numbers, right? It's 20 percent right now is the cap gains tax. He's discussing a thirty nine point six percent cap gains tax. Talk to me about you, you talk about being on productivity. But I want you to share. Give me two examples of specifically something where that tax would be increased. So people have we all have a same basis. And then as you see it, how that affects the economy positively or negatively. Well, actually, when you look at the tax um, proposal that he has, he wants to increase the capital gains rate to 43%. So what that means is that if a company has increases the value of their stock, they increase the value of their factory, and they want to take that increase in value and build another factory and hire more people, they will have half as much money to do so. 
than they did before. They're going to more than double the tax rate. So if you want to hire more people and grow your business, the government will say no. You can't do that because we're going to take money away from you and keep it for the government and redistribute it. But that money comes from uh, a, a, a business sale. It comes, I believe, from a stock sale. Where else does a cap gain tax get applied? Well, anytime a company is successful, let's say you're a, a small business owner and you attempt to sell your company because you want to retire and cash out. You want to sell it to your next generation. So you want to pass along that locally family-owned business that you've had for three or four generations. When you tr- do that transaction, that's when the government takes the tax. It's when you go to liquidate that investment and move it on to somebody else. So they're going to really decrease business activity because there's going to be a penalty for you to progress along in your life and for you to transfer those assets to somebody else. So we see this talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, and you find him at the University of Indianapolis, associate professor of finance for the University of Indianapolis MBA program. We're also seeing this conversation take place, and I was discussing this earlier, on the idea of a global minimum corporation tax. Can you describe, define what that is? Yeah, Tony, this is this is not a new idea. It's been floated before. There are some international organizations that have been trying to get this through. And, and of course, our new president is attempting to grab onto it. But what it means is that everybody on the planet, every country that pays that, you know, has companies and we track about 225 different nations. And what we see is that and, and by the way, that includes like Puerto Rico, for example, is considered independent because of their legal status. We have 225 entities, some of which have no corporate income taxes. And the proposal is that everyone has one. Why would they do that? The goal is to prevent competition. The big governments of the world want to prevent a company from finding the place that is best for them and their workers and their shareholders and not moving the company to those locations. Remember back when President Trump was in office, he had this major push to stop these things called inversions. A corporate inversion is when a corporation moves their headquarters to someplace like the Isle of Man or Bermuda or the Cayman Islands. And so the revision in the tax structure significantly curtailed that activity. Well, a global minimum tax increases the size of government and prevents competition. So that means that countries cannot compete to get and attract businesses to their country based on tax code. And let me tell you, Tony, this is really going to harm developing countries. These developing countries use their tax advantage to try to attract businesses. I mean, there are countries, you know, like Uzbekistan and Turkestan and Montenegro and Hungary. These countries use their low tax rates in Bulgaria to attract businesses. You know, they're still developing after the whole Eastern Bloc breakup. This would put a halt to that competitive advantage that they have through a corporate tax rate. So now let's get into a a little bit more of what could be better. I'm not going to sit here and ask you, well, if they know this is going to be bad for developing nations and bad for American uh, companies and continue actually, in many ways, the spirit of offshoring, finding ways to save the dollars. People are not going to take this uh, sitting, sitting down. Why do it? Because that gets into an ideological conversation. Right. And that's not where, where I want to dig, dig in with you. But rather, let me ask the question this way. Is there something to be said for the idea of ensuring that U.S. companies are able to compete 
on a level with others, not thinking that corporations are bad. And when we raise a tax like uh, the uh, capital gains rate, what are we signaling to other nations? What opportunity is this giving them or taking from them? Well, you know what? You, you mentioned it. What it gives them is an opportunity to steal a company from the United States. And that's why this is partnered with the global minimum tax, because President Biden wants to to remove the incentive for someone to relocate to a more favorable tax jurisdiction. So increasing our capital gains rate will make it less attractive to do work in the United States. And therefore, they want to also make it less attractive to move overseas. It's kind of like, you know, in psychology, what do you how do you reinforce behavior by punishing or by rewarding good behavior? And what this tax plan does is it punishes success and it punishes good behavior rather than rewarding it. And if you want to get something done, it's better to reward good behavior than punish behavior you don't desire. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, associate professor of finance for the University of Indianapolis MBA program. Find his work at mattwill, M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L dot com. I I will admit that I've heard more about this than I've heard about increases uh, in things like income taxes. I, I guess the question for you is, as you've been taking a look at these spending proposals that are going along, you have the infrastructure proposal as well. Have you found anything of merit that maybe the rest of us haven't looked at or in a way the rest of us haven't looked at it? You know what? I think there are some things. That is the the. Uh the income tax credit, the dependent tax credit, going from $3,000 to $8,000. I like that. You know, I, I like the fact that we are, you know, incentivizing people to take care of their children, that we want to make sure that there is that, that minimum level of the ability for a family to take care of their, their children. So the, the child tax credit going up, those are all good things, in my opinion. Um, I'm a fan of that. And I think those are good things in the proposal. But the general overall, you know, increasing the, the individual income tax to 39.6, the corporate tax rate, you know, to 21 or to up to, you know, 29. By the way, that doesn't include state corporate taxes. That's on top of that. So we're going to go we're going to leap back frog back up to one of the highest tax jurisdictions in the world if this happens. You know, and, and the estate tax, by the way, all those estate taxes that that uh, President Trump put in place, that would be rolled back. We're going to go back to the, the pre-Trump uh, tax cut environment for estate taxes. So people better hold on to their horses if they think they're going to inherit their family business. That is Dr. Matt Will, M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L, mattwill.com, uh, uh, financial economist and, of course, associate professor of finance for the University of Indianapolis MBA program. Sir, always a pleasure to have the chance to catch up. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. One of the big stories to be watching, whether you're an investor or not, the lawsuit, the battle between Epic Games and Apple. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. This has to do with whether or not Apple really can decide for game makers, we control your life. 
Epic Games creates Fortnite. And Fortnite for a while was the biggest game in the world and is still a pretty giant. And I tried to play Fortnite with my kids, and then I learned that I was terrible. Not just terrible, awful. And I can't play any games with my kids. They, they, they move too fast. They're, they're moving at such a speed. I can't keep up. And I'm like, wait, am I really that old? Is, is, is that what's happening here? If I was younger, if I was 20 years younger, I could, I could keep uh, 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 up with this? And the answer is, no, I don't think so. I think it's me. Even when I was younger, there was just no way, no way, I'm not that old, no way to keep up. There's just no way. It's crazy, the speed at which they're moving. This lawsuit, right, um, is about federal uh, Epic Games, federal court. Um, they want to get rid of what is described as the walled garden of the App Store. What Epic is saying is that Apple has transformed this storefront into an illegal monopoly. Their argument is that they're squeezing mobile apps for a significant slice of their earnings because they take 15 to 30% on purchases made within the app. Apple's saying, oh, don't be ridiculous. You don't have to be here to begin with. What's so funny is that Epic is valued at $30 billion. That's a huge company. But you're talking about compared to Apple, which might be the first trillion-dollar market cap, right? I mean, they're, I'm, I'm not wrong, producer Ari. They're just giant. No, they were the first trillion-dollar market okay, cap. Okay, they were. Right, thank you so much. I mean, they're, they've got like $200 billion-plus in cash on hand, ready to go. I don't think you keep that at the local bank, by the way. So don't look for it. So what they want is to be able to say, hey, you can't do this. You can't, you're not, you, you can't engage in this kind of practice. I don't know how Epic begins to have a case here. I don't know how they do it. If you don't want to play their way, by the way, I, I was wrong. Uh, Apple's market value is now 2.2 trillion. My mistake. If you don't want to play Apple's way, don't play Apple's way. Tim Cook is going to testify for Apple, and Tim Sweeney for Epic. They're both testifying. They don't want to have to deal with commissions. They want to be able to have people play their game on an iPhone, which is really what it's about. Why can't I just sell the app directly? Why in the world do I have to use your fakakta nonsense store? And when I have in-app uh, upgrades, right? Oh, you want a new weapon? Well, here, here's $2 or whatever the case may be. Why can't I do that? Why do I have to go through you? Why do I have to make you my partner in this? That's their question. I don't know how Epic proves the case. So Apple's argument is uh, that Epic is a desperate company hungry for resources uh, and that Epic wants to freeload off an iPhone ecosystem that Apple's put more than $100 billion into over the past 15 years. I'm just saying that from the argument, I don't know what Epic is supposed to say.
I would say that it seems uh, clear to me that Apple takes a nice chunk of pie, and if you could get them to take less of a chunk, you'd be better off. Then again, if it was me, and according to my view, I want BlackBerry back. I want the BlackBerry operating. You can still get a BlackBerry phone. You can't. There is no BlackBerry operating system now. It's all the Android system. I don't want the Android system. I don't even want the. I don't want the iPhone. I want a tactile keyboard. And then I, I, I just. I don't even need much. I don't know about you. How many apps do you have on your phone, producer Ari? I don't know, like a dozen. All right, I have. I have more than you. That's pretty interesting. But I don't use them. I cannot them. describe to you how little I use the apps that I, that I have. Right? It's just, uh, but there are people who've got hundreds. I mean, this is their whole life. I, I, I would, I would rather have a tactile keyboard. I don't, I don't need anything this big. I don't need a viewing surface this big. Yet everything is about how much you can view on your phone. Everything is built to, to, to the idea of the maximum size screen that can possibly be provided. And if you have a notch, oh, they hate the notch. They just absolutely hate it. We're going to follow this case. We're going to follow where this goes, because I think this lawsuit is, is fascinating. And I did not know that 100 million people in the U.S. had not been fully vaccinated for COVID. This is going to the CDC. It's nearly a third. I don't know. I, I think that's pretty good. I mean, if you want to get vaccinated, if you, if you like that... I think it's solid. One man's theory. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. This is Tony Katz Today. Tomorrow, everyone.